Thank you, Leslie and Paul, and thank you, Gilbert. Yeah. I was <clears throat> thinking about as you were singing that, that how much God loves to hear from us. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. <laughs> I reach out to him, I don't know how many hundreds of times a day. He loves it. He wants us. That touched me. Thank you very much. Well, let's take our Bibles uh, this morning and let's turn to Acts chapter 13. Your Bibles, no doubt, are flipping to that section of your Bible. It's, uh, we've been there for a number, quite a while now, but uh, hopefully it's been as enriching to you as it has been to me. And we find ourselves in a, in a critical uh, transition point, um, not that it's critical in the sense of the church uh, well-being, but it is interesting that the chapters 1 through 12, we have seen God utilizing the apostles, particularly Peter. Peter was the spokesman. He was the one that became the one that really gave the message. He was standing and making the foundation of the church. Uh, he, was, he was the guy. He was the go-to guy. Uh, that's 12 chapters of that. Now, it wasn't exclusively Peter, but you can find him in each case, particularly the Holy Spirit, which is what Acts is about. Acts is about the Holy Spirit coming in the place of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to earth, paid the perfect sacrifice, was buried, and rose again. On that truth, I'm standing here today. If that had not happened, I would be the first one to leave and leave you without any hope whatsoever, because without Christ raised from the grave, there's nothing for you to hang on to. But Jesus said before he left, I must go so the Comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, can come. I'm really glad for that as well. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, that one that rose from the dead, that conquered your sins, and you've trusted him by faith, then literally on that second, that millisecond, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Every single one of you that's trusted Christ as Savior. That's what Acts is about. That's why the Holy Spirit, it seems almost sporadic in the sense of how he comes on different groups of people. But it's to give the sense of proof. Started in the church of Jerusalem. The church began in Jerusalem is what I should say. And the Holy Spirit came on them. It came on, first of all, those 120 believers that were, what were they doing? They were preparing their hearts. Jesus said, tell you what, just wait. Wait in Jerusalem. You know, now that's interesting for us as a church. We're to be waiting. I'm waiting for Jesus to meet us in the air. But what are we to do when we're waiting? Not sitting around, preparing. This passage we're going to read here in just a moment really is about there's a lot of good intentions. I hear about a lot, myself included. I mean, this is no, this is no condemnation to anyone, myself standing here as well. How many times have I had good intentions to do the right thing, but I didn't prepare myself? I can't tell you countless in, encounters of where, well, I'll, I'll come to Christ, but not right now. It'll be later. Or I'll come to church on Sunday. Good intentions. And you can say whatever it might be. And you know what? Satan will take good intentions and throw them right out the window. You have to take intentions and prepare. You must be prepared. And I'll tell you what, if there's ever a day in the age right now, it's right now in 2023. Our world is so messed up, and if we've ever needed preparation, it's today, people. Isn't it true? We'll be reading in 2 Timothy chapter 3 after a while. Not now, not now. But it tells us really of the days in which we find ourselves living. We're living in perilous times. 
But we're going to look at an example now as we read chapter 13. Uh, the church is just beginning. I'm going to have Laramie put the map on the wall. We'll be using it as we go through today. But Antioch is now the central point. It's the headquarters, if you will, of the church going into the Gentile world. And you are, if you're here today, likely you're not a Jew. And if you are here, you are saved because of what's taken place. The church expanding through the Gentile I would say aggressive movement, honestly. So let's, let's go, and let's go to Acts chapter 13. You've already been there. You've been waiting for me to get done talking for a moment. Verse 1, chapter 13. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius, Lucius of Cyrene and Menamon, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. When they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister." When they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith." Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy, Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and, so he, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Persia in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. May God add a special blessing to reading of His Word. Let's just pause for prayer prior to our beginning our study. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your goodness, your graciousness that's, been ex that's given to us through Jesus Christ, his perfect sacrifice. He knew no sin, but you placed all of the world's sin upon him. And Father, as John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. That gift given, Father, was called grace. Father, thank you so much for what he did. Fathers, you look at the Holy Spirit and the guiding of the church that's begun, and it's beginning to mature. It's beginning to sense an expansion, if you will, and the Gentile world is now open to that. As we see this outreach from Antioch, we would ask that you would open our eyes, that you would open our minds, that we would see more clearly, more definitively, what you have for us. Father, we want you to take complete control of our minds and our hearts as the Holy Spirit teaches us exclusively. We pray for that. Father, if there's anything said that is not true, or is not worthy, that it will quickly evaporate from our minds. Father, we're here because we love you. And if there's someone that doesn't know you, Christ, does not know Christ personally at this day, these moments would be for that person. Right now, Father, we trust you with the word in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Very good. We've got, uh, what we've got here is we've got the map on the wall that 
is going to show us some places. We'll, we'll talk about some of these places uh, right away. And, uh, oh, there we go. So, just review a little bit. We know that the church started in Jerusalem, and if we had the other, we don't need to, but um, that was a very small beginning, if you will. And if you think about where Jesus was when he gave this magnanimous, have you ever had an assignment that seemed so overwhelming you can't possibly even imagine getting it done? I can't imagine those disciples gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's just moments away from literally ascending into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And he says, I want you guys to basically evangelize, to go to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Oh, that should be easy. <laughs> Whoa, right? Talk about wild and big and crazy. Well, that all started in Jerusalem. And, and again, just think of God's wonderful grace that he gives. I would tell you right now, just within probably less than 60 days previous to that announcement by Jesus Christ, he had been crucified in Jerusalem. I think I would go somewhere else to begin the church. Not God. Give him another chance. Give him another opportunity. And there were those that came to Christ because of what had taken place. Well, we also know that he went north a little bit into Samaria. Samaria would have been the half-breed or the half-Jew. Uh, they were very much looked at with scorn. Again, we're seeing how important it was to validate the coming of the Holy Spirit, not on the Jews only, but also on the, the Samaritans. Peter was that person. Turn the key. Jesus said to him in Matthew chapter 16, as, Jesus, as Peter answered, Who are you? And Peter responded, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Upon that rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. That's the keys that he was turning, allowing the Samaritans to have the same Holy Spirit. Then we know Cornelius was a man that was a Gentile. And through Peter, Peter needed to learn a lot of stuff too. And the opening to the door of the Gentiles began through that man, Cornelius. We're here because of that. Well, now we find actually, as we open in chapter 13, actually we finished up last week, chapter 12, Antioch, which would be north, about 300 miles if I recall correctly. That's where there's a church based that literally is going to be the ground direction of aggression that will be in the church going forward. Um, from Antioch, this is what we're going to be looking at today, they would have just went downstream to Seleucia. That would have been a seaport. And then they would have went to this island of Cyprus. Two cities we're concerned with today is Salamis and Paphos. You saw those when we read. You'll see that, that this is our area of geography in which we're dealing today. There's five men that are listed in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Let's take a look at those guys for a moment. These were the, the spiritual leaders of the church in Antioch. There were certain prophets and teachers, it says, verse 1, as Barnabas. What do you know about Barnabas? Who's that guy? Refresh your memories. He is like the king of encouragement. I mean, he's the one. I would want that guy in this room. I would want him to be here because he's the guy that's going to bring. Especially we've got a new, new project, new mission, big difficulties. I want an encourager in the room. I want him to be able to lift us up. I can't believe how important that Barnabas would have been to Paul or Saul as he was known. Now, Saul would have been the enemy of the church. I mean, you couldn't have made a worse enemy. I, don't even, I can't even think of someone today um, in the world we live that would have been. He was so zealous, so over the top, thought he was serving God. And literally was just beating himself up, as, as Jesus said as he found him on the road to Damascus. Why are, you, why are you doing this? And he felt he was totally in the right. That Paul. But think of what Barnabas did for him. As Saul would have entered into Jerusalem and met the apostles and all of those 
Christians, the disciples, they, their hands went up. He said, Woo, I know this guy. We've heard of him. And Barnabas, he said, Whoa, 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 stop, stop. This, this, is, this is the new Saul. This is the one that found Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. That's who Barnabas is. You want him on your mission. You want him on your trip. And the second man there is listed is Simeon that was called Niger. Now, Niger would be black. He probably was from Africa. He was a black man that would have come. And he's now, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but he's in Antioch. He's part of this spiritual leadership team of the church. And you have one named Lucius of Cyrene. And Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Now, we'd had a, we had a meeting last week uh, in talking about Herod Agrippa. He was the one that thought he was God, and God smote him. A, a horrible unfolding of someone that rejected it and rejected God. Uh, this is not the same one. This would be Herod Antipas, uh, part of the Herod family, obviously. But it seems that this Manan was actually someone that would have been almost like a foster brother of, who would have been in the same household growing up with Herod Antipas. And I'm like, I'm, I'm aghast by that. I'm like, what? How could you grow up in Herod's family and get it? <laughs> but you see, the grace of God, and if there's a yearning, if there's a seeking, it's amazing. I think of those wise men. We're going to be talking about them in a minute. The Magi, the Magus, if they will. The Magus, if that's what we're talking. There was a man that was resistant. And then remember in Matthew chapter 2, the Magi, the wise men that were seeking the king of the Jews. Is your heart seeking <coughs> Jesus? Is it continuing to seek the Holy Spirit? Is it continuing to yield? I hope it is. And then it lists, the last, it lists the man Saul. There's a, the spiritual leaders in this church at Antioch. Now, what, what do spiritual leaders do? What do they do? <laughs> Thank you so much for that deep insight. They lead spiritually. Very good, very good. How do, how, how do they lead spiritually? How do they lead spiritually? And how do they do that? These are all right answers, by the way. This is good stuff. How do they do that? Is there a special... Dumping of a... And, and how do they do that? Excuse me? You yield? What'd you say? Spending time with the Lord. Okay. Acknowledging the source of their, their doctrine. Okay. Acknowledging God is God, right? Okay. They're available. That, I, think, I remember that from a little bit back, right? Good, good job. Good. They were available, right? They were available. How did they get to be spiritual leaders? Or, or did God just, he opened the door and just goes, whoosh, Paul, you are now a spiritual leader. You don't know what to do with me right now, do you? I just, I just, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just, <laughs> what does he want? What does he want? You know what spiritual leaders do? They keep preparing their heart. They never stop preparing being spiritual. They never stop moving on the journey. They want to get better and closer all of the time. Every waking moment, if you will, they want to be more of what God wants them to be. Right? It's, it's almost the same. I, I, don't, I wouldn't want to liken it to the world because the world is on a different page because it's driven very differently. But show me someone that has good intentions Someone that wants to go into a career field of who knows what. Let's say they want to be, a, I don't know, a geologist. 
just making this stuff up, so be careful. I don't want to take it too far. What would be the best thing that that person could do that wants to be a judge, geologist? Well, I just, I'm just going to think about it. I want to do that. I want to do that, so I should be able to do that. What do they do? They prepare. They study. They find classes. They find instructors. They surround themselves with people that can move them in a direction that will get them closer to their passion. Now, step out of that realm before you go too far. It's good, but it's, but it's not exactly what we want to get to. But think of a spiritual leader now. How did he get there? He did it. The very first thing was to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Then what happens is the Holy Spirit indwells. That's where you want to start. You can't do, in fact, if you're fighting corruption, if you're fighting the devil, if you're fighting, and you don't, and you're not saved, you will lose because you don't have the Holy Spirit. You cannot resist the devil without the Holy Spirit. You can, but you'll lose. That begins a journey of yielding to and obeying and praying and letting the word just infiltrate your life. That's how you get to be a spiritual leader. And you know how you stay a spiritual leader? You keep doing that. If you're here today and you want to be a spiritual leader and you don't think you are, I'm not going to even say you aren't. Point of the matter, because there's someone somewhere that is looking at you in your life. I don't care who you are. Someone is looking at you. You are a leader to someone. Now, what that, that felt a little heavier, didn't it? The responsibility of that? The same things apply. Get in the Word and pray. Get in the Word and pray. Now, let's watch what they're doing. I, I, I went to that extra trouble because it's interesting. These five guys are named. We, we went to some, some issue of, of naming. They, well, they were named in our text. Uh, verse 1. Now, watch. Verse 2. These three words I have underlined in my Bible. As they ministered. <laughs> as they served. As they went about their work. And they just kept on doing what they were doing. They were teaching, they were praying. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now, fasting, um, without getting, I don't want to make a study out of this, but that's a word that sometimes we'd almost throw on this level of super spirituality, right? And I'm not even going to ask the question because it would seem that fasting in and of itself is done better and is looked at with higher regard from our Heavenly Father when it's done privately. It's not something to advertise. It's not something to get up on. Now, the Pharisees, that's how Jesus talked about it in the Gospels. Again, not making this an exclusive study, but the point is this. Uh, someone that was flashy about their fasting Jesus said, well, they've got their reward. This, this reward from these spiritual leaders, it's just saying, as a matter of fact, they were so invested, so in tune, so wanting to be yielded to the Spirit that they forgot to eat. That's the true focus of fasting. Now, if I wake up in the morning and I'm going to say, I'm going to fast today, missed it. Missed it. Okay? Now, I'm not going to say I could miss it exclusively, but if I'm planning to fast, it's like I've had this little point system in my mind and if i fasted i can check that box no 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 you want fasting to come naturally you want it to come because it just happened and at the end of the day he says man i was so immersed i was so digging in to the scripture and the holy spirit had so much of me and i was so involved that i forgot to eat that my friends is what that is messed that's what it says that's what it's saying to be fasting at the point that you really just lose track of time because you're so immersed in ministry, so immersed in getting into the Word, so immersed into prayer that you just forget it. It's after the fact, if you will. If, if it's a plan, 
It's not the same. Does it make any sense? There's a quick little, and that's kind of how Jesus would have saw it as well. If you're going to put it on your checklist, that's just not the same. It's time to fast. Oh, that, and you're laughing. It, it's not the same, is it? It's not that way. That's not what fasting is at all. Yes. As, as long as it's not that the focus is the fast, you, you see what I'm saying? If, if, if it's the principle of the matter that really the fasting is a result of what you're really focusing on, that's fantastic. That's okay. That's okay. But again, if you've made the fast the principal motive, you've missed it. You've missed it. We're fasting because we want to get into the Spirit. We want to get into the Word. We want to get into the relationship, if you will, with God. Okay? And, it, and it's almost like it's an afterthought, if you will. Now, there's nothing wrong with planning a time frame around that. Not at all. But if we make the fast the focus, we've missed it. Does that make sense? I don't want to diminish. And by the way, there's fasting as well. It, there, there, there's a whole other arena that brings some sense of health benefits to that. Okay? I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the spiritual leaders. What are they doing in this church? They are so involved in preparing their hearts, so involved in preparing their minds, so involved in continuing to be the spiritual leaders in that church that they flat are focused on that and that alone. And fasting is a result, not a focus. Okay? That, my friend, speaks loudly to me of the spiritual leadership of those five men, right? Isn't that crazy? And it's thought of, I can't remember, and I'm stepping out, but we'll use it more as a principle than it is about a dynamic of persons. But there was a composer that was writing, and if I remember, it was the Hallelujah Chorus, that man, and his wife kept putting food <laughs> in the room for like days, and he was so immersed in his work, so focused, he never ate anything. That's the, that's, that's the principle I want to get at, that it doesn't even enter into your thought process. That's how much God has of you, okay? And he's the one that does that. Okay, I'm getting, we okay? That's, that's what made these, that's, to me, this is what made these spiritual leaders leaders. Not because they fasted, the fasting was a result of what they were doing. That's what made them who they were. Paul, I may have you turn that, that air conditioner on, please. I see a few of you waving here, so we'll... You're dying. It says, as they minister to the Lord, they're serving. They're, they're just going, doing what they do. Not, nothing, you know, they're not... They're just being what they, were, what they are. It, now look at this. When they're ministering, they're praying, they're, te- and they're teaching, they're soaking in the Word, and they're fasting as a result of their focus on the Word... It says, the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. A couple things stick out to me, and this is really exciting about the book of Acts and how the church started. Uh, If I read this differently, I could say something like this. Let's try it now. I read it the way the scripture is. Let me me read it differently, and I'm going to see if you guys catch on. Verse 1, now there were in the church that was at Antioch. Certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that, were called, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the church said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I had called them. 
Did you see it? How many times does someone in the church direct traffic or direct someone somewhere else? Did you see who was guiding this church? Did you see who was guiding the spiritual leaders? The Holy Spirit. I want this church. I want every church. Jesus Christ wanted every church. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus could only be in one place at one time. Think of what he gave. To literally have every church, I'm thinking in 2023 now, it's the same, same God, same yesterday, today, and forever, that literally across the entire world today, there are churches that are meeting. And to have the Holy Spirit directing, the, abil- the, the availability to direct every single church, I can't begin to tell you what that blessing would be. We have that ability right here. You as Christians, you that have trusted Christ as Savior, have living within you the Holy Ghost. As you yield individually to him, that's what those five men were doing. And they're teaching and preaching the word of God. That church becomes led by the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, guess what happens? It's not a man. It's not a pastor. That that, that would destroy me if someone said that this is a pastor-driven church. That would destroy me. I don't want any of that. I want this to be a spirit-led church. Because that's the only one we could possibly succeed with. Isn't that true? That's what's happening here. I love that. I love that. The Holy Spirit said. Now, here's another thing that can happen in all of this fervor and all of the noise. How many times do we miss when the Spirit speaks? Ah, right? These guys were in tune. Why? Because they were focused on the things that made them spiritual leaders. Separate. Now, let's talk about this for a moment. Now, of those five guys, now three of them you don't know quite as well. I understand that for good reason. The pages are filled with what they did in the world, particularly Saul or Paul, which we'll find in in verse 9. He becomes known as Paul thereafter. Let's say you're a participant. You're in this congregation, and we're in the church of Antioch today, and the Spirit has spoke. And he's asking that, that you would give the Holy Spirit to a job, to a, an assignment for two of these five spiritual leaders that are leading this church. I want Barnabas and I want Saul. <laughs> and you say, those are our favorite guys. Those are the ones that are leading this thing. These, these are the guys that are so awesome. Right? Can you hear yourself being that way? Sure you can. You know, like the other three, they're fine, but it's not the same, right? I can't, I can't imagine when Barnabas got to the front, when, you, when he got done, it was like, whoa, let's go get the world. Because he would have been just so full of comfort and encouragement. Saul was this no-nonsense, bring it on. Well, we saw it in our text today. And those are the two that God, the Holy Spirit, wants to take out and go somewhere else. What are you going to do? Uh, let's talk about it. Let's have a committee meeting. I think there's a couple other guys we could send that would fit this well. But they're not a, they're not a pastor-led church. They're, not, they're a spirit-led church. So let's watch how they respond. Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. He's, he's got an assignment, if you will. When they had fasted and prayed, continue on, just, just like they always do, focused focused on God, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They sent them away. Now, uh, they lay their hands on them. Um, Sometimes we get the wrong impression of that. Um, 
let's say, this, let's just set that situation up. So now the church has been told, the Holy Spirit is leading this, and Barnabas and Saul have been called by the Holy Spirit to go to a mission, to a job, to an assignment. And it says that they prayed and fasted and they put their hands on them. <laughs> that's, in one sense, that's actually pretty close because it, as they put their hands on them, it was like they were identifying with the work and the assignment. Part of that whole group was part of those two guys. That's the meaning of laying. They didn't lay on hands to give their power to them. Oh, of course not. It was the sense of identification. And that church was identified with this. Actually, there's several missionary journeys. But the first missionary journey, now think of this. This is the first one. They didn't know about the second and third. They didn't know there'd be a second and third. This is literally the first missionary journey that two men that God, the Holy Spirit has called, they're being led by them, and he are going to hit the trail to open up the aggression of the, of the Gentile world to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know how far this is going to go, right? You don't have a clue. So where are they going to go first? Well, let's find out. Verse 4. So they being sent forth by the church. Stop me. Forth by the Holy Ghost. Departed on Seleucia. Okay, so let's just follow our geography. So we have, they were at Antioch, 16 miles down the Euphrates River is this seaport called Seleucia. So they're going down the, down the, down the, the river. And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So Cyprus, you almost could have saw that island from Seleucia. You could, and so they just sail into there. There's two cities particularly known. And Salamis is the first we're going to come to. Now, why would, why would you go to Cyprus first? Why would God choose? And the Holy Spirit's guiding this trip. This isn't a, let's just go where Paul thinks we should go. Let's just go where Barnabas thinks we No, 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 no. Did you see it? The more that you are preparing your heart, the more you prepare your mind, the more you know where you're supposed to go. How do you find God's will? You pray and you read the Bible. You know that he's not going to have you go somewhere that's not in there. Right? He's directing them. He's directing them very clearly. So Cyprus, it's an island that's uh, thought to be, not thought to, I didn't do enough math. It was 30 to 50 miles wide and 110 miles long. Okay? So you think about that. What's 100 miles from here? Um, yeah, Bo that's right. That'd be right. Bozeman or Helena. Okay, so think of that. So it's that far, and you run out of land. You drive off in the ocean. And it's about, let's, just, let's say it's 50 miles wide. Um, you, you get the idea. This isn't a big place, is it? It's almost like a Madison County kind of thing, right? All right, so that's where they're at. Um, there's something significant here, though. Now, who, who called the two men? This, is, this seems really simplistic. The Holy Spirit did, okay? Barnabas and Saul. Um, do you know where Barnabas grew up? Where was home? Where was, where was hometown? Cyprus, yeah, in chapter 4, verse 36. So now you have Barnabas going back to, the, to, the, to, to this area that he grew up. You know, some of the hardest places to minister is where we grew up, <laughs> isn't it? It's true. But here we go. They go to, it says in verse 5, when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues. Uh, what are they going to do? They're going uh, to have meetings. They're going to kind of have some organizational meetings. They're going to have some music come in. They're going to have some events. They're going to start to gather people up. And No, that's not what they did. They just went in the synagogue and they preached the word of God. You want to, that's a principle that works for building churches. Preach the word of God. Did I say that? Should I say it louder? Preach the word of God. Period. That's all you need to do. 
because that's how the Holy Spirit works on bringing people to him. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is a principle that's locked in truth. Large Jewish contingency. Um, as you think about Salamis, it was the largest city uh, on the island. It was a, it was a fairly large uh, metropolitan area. And they're just going to the synagogues preaching. And it says they're preaching to the Jews. I'm, I'm sorry, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. And that's just kind of an afterthought. Go back, go back to the last verse in Acts chapter 12, and it says, uh, verse 24, the word of God grew and multiplied. And verse 25, watch this. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. John Mark. Now, as they've went to Cyprus, guess what? Not only Barnabas and Saul, but they needed someone to go along with them. Now, this is really cool because they just take this young man, which happens to be Barnabas's relative. He's a cousin, okay? I can hear Barnabas telling Paul, hey, you know what? We should take John Mark with us. There's a young man that really could see. We could, we could watch him come along, and you know what? We need to minister to him. We need to let him see how big this thing really is. And John Mark goes with. Boom, there he goes. When they'd gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain... Uh-oh, uh-oh. They changed geography. They're going across the country. Or the, you know, it's the country, the island. And they're going from Salamis to Paphos. Paphos is on the other side. It's on the west coast. And it's a different spot. It's the capital of Cyprus. And it's the Roman, what should we say? This is where the Romans launch their governor, this guy. Can you believe this? Sergius Paulus is the governor of Cyprus. Okay? That's the governor of Cyprus. There's two things that really stick out to me here. So they're traveling across. Now, how do you think things went in Salamis? We're not given a lot of instruction, but I know this much. If Paul and Barnabas are at the front of that synagogue preaching the word of God, there are people that are coming to Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Whether it's this church, or it's a church in Bozeman, or it's a church in Africa, or one in South America. When souls are being saved, get ready for what happens next. Satan attacks. <laughs> Not maybe, he attacks. I'm thinking even here just, uh, I didn't know if I was going to touch on this, but it's banging around my head, so I'm going to just do it. Several months ago, we began a women's Bible study and prayer group. We began a men's Bible study. And I'm going to tell you the satanic oppression was immense. And it's still here. It's still, but you know what? Well, we'll talk about that at the end. That's the closing points. My point is all of this, when God's work is going, Satan will resist. He's going to, in the words that's here, is withstand, to withstand. That's what this guy here, he's an enemy of God, this Eliamus, this Bar-Jesus, the son of salvation is really what this word means of this man. And they roll into Paphos. Now, that's a place, let's talk about the city for a moment. Again, I said, it's the Roman outpost for the Cyprus. The governor, Sergius Paulus, he resides here. He's in charge. He's the governor. But it's also a place of worship of the goddess called, uh, goddess of love called Venus, uh, I can't describe for you the immorality in the sense of the orgies that are taking place sexually around this worship of this goddess Venus. Or wait a minute. It's probably about the same if you go to the levels of in the world today. It's really, we, we, we're there, aren't we? 
Uh, I, I'm a, I, I'm, I just can't hardly believe the stuff that unfolds for us anymore, and it's seen as normal now. Okay, so it's not all that strange, but, but very much. This, this is a satanic stronghold. And here comes Paul and Barnabas. Now, what really makes it very sinister from Satan's standpoint is the fact that this governor, who has in his hire a sorcerer, this is a demonic possessed person that would act as a medium that he is getting information from that comes from the demonic world. But look at this. Here's a seeker again. When they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer's false prophet, a Jew. Now, that's a little bit weird. But most of the time, Jews would stay away from the sorcery, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, that word Bar-Jesus, as I've already told you, is son of salvation, because the word Jesus means salvation. Okay? So, son of salvation. That seems odd already, right? I think of all of the misnomer and the spin that's taking place in the false I was going to say false truth. That's an oxymoron in itself. But I've never seen the, the communication devices, whether it be television, whether it be radio, whether it be internet, whatever it is, there is so much untruth now that is portrayed as truth or different perspectives that it's almost for a young person right now, if, you don't have, if you're not grounded in the Word of God, if you're not preparing your heart in the Word of God, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. It's like this blurred... Just as Satan, it says, beguiled Eve. He fogged her understanding, right? That's what's going on at a high level. This man here is going to try to do the same thing. That's Satan's right out of his playbook. Verse 8, but Eliamus, the sorcerer, for so his name is by interpretation. He's a sorcerer, okay? Comes from the word magus, who are magic. We talked about that before. Now look at this. The, the word I have, he withstood them. He withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Actually, I got ahead of myself. I should have read verse 7 first. Let's try that. Don't we go 6, 7, 8 rather than 6, 8, 7? I'm sorry. My apologies. Verse 7. Which was with the deputy of the country. He's the, he's the governor, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man. It means he's wise. He's a leader. He's someone that's uh, very intelligent, someone that's earned his way there, who called for... Watch. Well, did you see this? who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. In fact, I'm almost convinced because of what they were doing in Salamis, he heard about it. He heard about the word of God being preached in the synagogues of the Jews in Salamis, and I'm convinced it seems like, zoom, there they go. This guy comes. It's not here, so be careful. I don't want to add to the word of God, but at the same time, it seems that he obviously inquired, he wanted to hear the word of God, and he wanted Barnabas and Saul to do that. Now, keeping in mind, talk about having opposition within your own camp, he has employed this our Jesus, our Eliamus, who is a demon-possessed medium. So that would be, what's the right word? Uncomfortable. They come in, they're going to give him the word of God. He withstands him. What is that word withstand? To withstand someone. Uh, they're just bringing the word in, boom, there he is. Excuse me? That's exactly the right word, Resist. To withstand is to resist. We're going to play on that as we get to the end of our session today. So he's very much against them being there. Then Saul, verse 9. Uh, let me read 8 again in its proper order. But Eliamus, the sorcerer, for so his name is by interpretation, withstood them. 
He resisted them, seeking to turn away the deputy from... In other words, he's, if you think of it, he's standing between, between the uh, governor and, and Bar- Paul and, Sar- and Barnabas. He, he doesn't want... He's, he's, that's exactly what Satan wants to do with truth. Keep the truth away. Put your hands up. Divert. Divide. Keep it away. Then Saul, who also is called Paul... Filled with the Holy Ghost. Key component. He was prepared. If you're going to take on Satan or his demons, I have to be very careful I state this. Because if, you're going to take, if, you're, if you think you're going to go, go Satan shopping or Satan beating or whatever it is, don't do that. We are told to resist the devil. It's the same word. In fact, if you go to James chapter 4 and, and, and verse 6, Verse 7 it is. It says, submit to God. It doesn't say resist the devil, then submit. It says submit to God. First, get yourself prepared. Then resist the devil. It's exactly the same Greek word as this one here that said he withstood them. But why is Paul successful in withstanding? Because it looks like a duel, doesn't it? It said he was withstanding them, and Paul sets his eyes on him. I don't know what that looks like, but knowing Paul, it was intense. He was an intense individual. And he, literally in his own way, resisted Satan. Why did he win? Because he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He yielded to the Holy Ghost. He was prepared. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the key. If you want to try to do it in your own strength, you will lose. Filled with the Holy Ghost, he set his eyes on me. He said, "Oh, this is the uh, this is not the what should we say the roundabout approach? <laughs> oh, full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil! Huh? <laughs> we know what that was right out of the box. Uh, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the white ways of the Lord? He sees right through him. Now, an interesting play on words." Uh, child of the devil or son of the devil, that would be uh, John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees, it says, you are, you are children of the devil. Now remember, what was bar Jesus? What did it mean? Son of salvation? Uh, Paul just called him the son of Satan, the son of the devil. He's really seeing right through this. And now, verse 11, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee. Thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Wow. Confrontation. Serious confrontation. Now, the one thing that I do have that, I, that you know, I don't want to add anything to or take away, it's not permanent, the sense of his blindness. It's said for a season. Could it, would it be like Nebuchadnezzar, who was insane for a number of years, and he came out and he blessed the Most High God. Could it be that Eliamus, Bar-Jesus, after being blind, physically blind, being apprehended, if you will, by the Spirit, that he would have seen what he was short? What do you, I don't know. Could God's grace have saved him? Absolutely. We, that's the end of the story for him. We don't know where he went. We don't know what happened to him. But we know he was definitely Satan's tool. 
just like they are today. There's all kinds of Satan's tools being utilized. That would be one that would be outside. This was the outside force of opposition. Uh, Satan has lots of the outside forces today, outside of the church. But I want, you to, I want to guide you to one that was also satanically inside. Satan will use division and divisiveness and a sense of uh, whatever, I don't know, whatever you want to call that, where there's a separation, there's a, a breakdown. He loves that. He works the inside job. Guess how he did it? Uh, let's go back to the, who's traveling in, in Cyprus? Who, let's, let's name it again. We got Barnabas. We have Paul or Saul. Yeah, and fr- from the, I can actually literally say Paul from this point on now because uh, he's, he's Paul going forward. Okay, so we have Paul, we have Barnabas, and we have John Mark. Okay. Now, we don't know why, but something happened. Something happened. John Mark. Let's go down to verse 13. We'll come back to uh, verse 12 in a moment. When, now, verse 13, now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Persia and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, if you do the study, if, if you kind of follow the purple line, you will see Persia right here at Pamphylia. When they went there, John Mark went here. He cut bait and ran home. Now, lots of conjecture about why. One is he was just homesick. He was just, you know, just young, immature, whatever it might have been. Uh, some of their, if you, do, if you do some study on the geography of which they were traveling there in Pamphylia, there was the Taurus Mountains, very, very rugged, full of robbers, full of thieves. It was a very treacherous place to even be. You shouldn't even be there, okay? Maybe he was just scared. Bottom line, he went home. He quit. So much that caused a dissension. Let's go to chapter 15 of Acts for a moment. Let's go to Acts 15. Let's see how deep that was. And Paul and Barnabas continued on. They were seasoned. They were spiritual leaders. But let's look at verse 38. Um, actually, let's look at verse 36. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Okay. So what's happened? They finished the first missionary trip. You know, they, they've made the rounds. They're, they're taking assessment. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, verse 36, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Isn't that fantastic? Missionary, let's just see how it's going. Let's check back in. Let's see how they're doing. Are they, are they preparing their hearts? Are they continuing to move forward? Spiritual growth taking place? Isn't that cool? You know, what do you think when Barnabas came in and said, oh, it's good to see you, right? It'd be all that good stuff, right? Verse 37. And Barnabas, here's our guy, determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark. <laughs> Isn't this guy good? This, this Barnabas guy. And I've told you, how did you guys do practicing being Barnabases in the last couple of weeks? How's it, how's it went for you? <laughs> what, a, what a guy to strive for, right? And he says, let's take John Mark. Uh, verse 38. And Paul thought not good, not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Now watch, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Now, uh, if you didn't know those two verses, it would look like Satan probably had won. Because we've completed one journey. John Mark splits the scene at Persia, goes to Jerusalem, goes back to mommy's house. 
And Paul says to Barnabas, let's, let's, go, let's go take the, let's take a run. Hey, great idea. Let's, I'll get John Mark. We'll get on the ship. Let's get, let's go. Oh, whoa, 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 time out. We're not taking that loser with us again. I mean, we went down that trail once. No more of that nonsense. This isn't going to happen, Barnabas. Listen here, Barney, this isn't going to work. <laughs> oh, come on, Paul, let's be honest. I mean, the guy, he, yeah, okay, so he quit us. That's what maturity is all about. Let's give him another chance. You can just see Barnabas just, <laughs> Paul is, he's pretty staunch, isn't he? He would be the guy that would be the real... Wow, right? <laughs> I can just see him. No, we're not doing that. In fact, finally, Barney and Paul, there's a split. It says it's a rift. It's a sharp contrast. Now, this is where it would look like Satan would almost win. But this is what a prepared spiritual leader does, is he allows God to take you to a new level. Both Paul, both Barnabas said, I think it's important that we go and we continue. Lord God, how do you want us to go? God makes two journeys, not a zero. Satan was going for a zero. But did you see the inside work? Now, I don't know what he did to discourage John Mark. But for him to leave his two trusted companions, as I can't imagine that the Cyprus trip wasn't anything other than successful, right? I mean, imagine what he saw. In fact, we're going to go back now to verse 12 and see what happened. Meanwhise, back at Sergio Paulus's residence, we've got his... his tried and true hired sorcerer who has now just been made, he's wandering around the room not knowing where he's going. What's he going to do? Let's find that. And you know what? John Mark was a witness of that as well. What happened? What did Satan do to John Mark to set so much fear in him so that he left? Be careful. That same kind of thing can happen within us as well, that we'll quit the work. We'll step away. There'll be too much pressure. We've got to step away. That is Satan. When God's work is getting done, do not back up. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the really cool part is that withstand we saw, and in James chapter 4, I'm going to say it again because I said it once, and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Exactly the same Greek word. How do you win? You're filled with the Spirit. Put on the armor of God. That's the key. Now, you know what God resists? That's in verse 6 of chapter 4 of James. He resists, withstands the proud. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Let's go back. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, let's go back to uh, Acts chapter 13. Let's watch what happens with our man, Sergius Paulus. Now, catching back up, 10 and 11, Paul has literally, I can laser eyes on this guy. They're, they're, this is a confrontation. This resistance is a confrontation, absolutely in their face. And Paul, being full of the Spirit, tells, tells him exactly what he is. He's a perverter of truth. He's a deceitful man. And you are going to be blind, which he literally, spiritually, has been blind for years. See, there's almost a play there. See, and I'm wondering. It was almost like Nebuchadnezzar. Remember him? Remember that king that thought he was everything? And he becomes a cow? Wow, that's humiliating. Um, hey, guys, where's, where's King Nebuchadnezzar? Asking the family. Oh, he's in the backyard. <laughs> Can we speak with him? Not right now. Not, not right now. Can you imagine? That would be a little bit, we're having a family picnic. Let's do it in the backyard. <laughs> right? He's eating grass. 
<laughs> he's insane. He's crazy, right? Because he's outstanding. He's outstanding. Yeah, exactly. He's outstanding in his field eating, right? But you know why? Because God resisted the proud. And in God's mercy and grace, he let him see who he was without God. I don't know how that happened exactly, but it does tell us in chapter 3 of Daniel that he saw, he noticed, it was revealed to him the true and mighty and supreme God. And he called him that. That's a gift. Uh, the guy we studied last week, King Agrippa I, he was a bit arrogant, he was a bit proud. But you see, there's a gap in there that we don't, sometimes I'm just, well, that's pretty harsh. Whoa. He gives this oration, and he's shiny. He's got silver stuff on, and, and they think he's a god. And literally, the angel of the Lord came and smote him, and he's dead in five days. I'm like, whoa, that's a little stout. But if you didn't have the previous section of where literally he took Peter, locked him in a prison on the innermost with 16 guys, got him chained two at a time, two at the door, and the angel of the Lord goes in and they are out of there without interrupting anyone or anything, and Peter is gone. And the next morning, Super Herod says, how did that happen? And he kills four of the guys because they let him go. And I got to believe he knew God was in control, and he chose once again to resist God. That's the scary part. If you're here today and you've been resisting Jesus Christ, stop it. Stop it. You cannot fight God and win. You can't do it. He is wooing you. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He paid for all of it. There's nothing that you can add to it. There's nothing you need to add to it. The very same thing that Sergius Paulus is going to have to make a decision now. This is what I want you to think about. Was it being blown away by the miracle as this wild-eyed Saul, also known as Paul, told him, Sergius Paulus, who he had hired, was literally a deceptive, deceitful, perverting the truth kind of a guy, and then he blinds him? Is that what blew him away? He was blown away by the miracle? See, that's the other thing. If you think about all of those people that watch Jesus' miracles, a good share of them, it just didn't work, really. Did it? It, just, it, was, it was something. It was something, right? Let's watch this very carefully. Verse 12, back in Acts chapter 13. It said, then the deputy, the governor, when he saw what was done, he, that this, basically he was blinded. He believed, being astonished at the miracle of blindness? No, what does it say? At the doctrine of the Lord. The truth is what he believed. Do you see the importance of that? It would have been just a miracle, the miracle of literally this man being blind for a period of time, for a season as it stated. That wouldn't have done it. It was believing the word of God. That's what he wanted those guys to tell him. And I'm sure it's not there, but as it was like Paul, he's, he, I, I could just see this confrontation coming on. Here we're meeting Sergius Paulus. Hey, it's good to meet you. I'm Paul. This is Barnabas. Um, glad to be. And here comes, here comes Mr. Elemus. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. You shouldn't be here. Sergius, I'll, I'll, I'll protect you. I'll protect you. 
Saul says, whoa, you are a perverter of truth. You get away. I'm going to talk to you now, Sergius. And that's what he believed was, what did he want to know? See, in the seeker of God, this is really, really, this is so cool. When you're seeking God, no matter how little you know, God will give you more truth and more truth and more truth. The wise men still seek him. Those wise men that came 900 miles to look for the, for the king of the Jews following a star, they were astronomers, not astrology. That's the difference between the two magis. They were seeking the king. And guess what they found? They found the king. Came all that way. Didn't matter they were Gentile. Rahab. I mean, I don't know how you can make one more further away from God's word, I mean, from God's truth. How could you do it? She's living in Jericho. But she hears that these Israelites, whose God parted the Red Sea, and then all the Egyptians were killed. She took that to heart. Here come the two spies. That was a risk for her to say, you know what? I'm going to protect you. You stay right here. I know your God is amazing. And guess how God rewarded her? She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you look at the pedigree of Jesus Christ, Rahab's in there. A seeker of God. A seeker of God. Sorry, what, what authority or credibility did Paul and Barnabas have to go into the synagogue with the Cyprus or in Turkey? Now, this is, this is my opinion, but I'm, so I'm, I'm adding some things to it. Cyprus, who was born and raised there? Barnabas. Barnabas, okay. Barnabas was a Jew. Jew, okay. So he would have frequented those synagogues in, 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 as a Jew in Cyprus. So there would have been an opening. I'm, I'm still convinced that that's why the Holy Spirit... I want these two guys. I want, see, none of those other five guys would have fit that model to go to Cyprus. That's where the Holy Spirit wanted him to start was in Cyprus. I don't really know why, but think of it again. Sergius Paulus in Paphos became saved. That's what that, that, he became saved. So now you have the governor of Cyprus that's saved. It's pretty cool. Now, I believe that our governor in Montana is a saved man. I met him in the, just in the little meat store here, and it's the first governor, probably the first governor I ever asked, but I was able to, governor... Uh, Gianforte, how can I pray for you? And he said, Larry, I said, we're on the road a lot right now. We're, we're traveling through every single county. And he said, pray for safety, pray for wisdom, pray for courage. Isn't that fantastic? See, when you have a governor that's serving Jesus Christ, good stuff happens. <laughs> right? So I'm thinking Cyprus. Okay, so this is the Holy Spirit. He... He's setting this up for Sergius Paulus, the governor of Cyprus, to get saved. This, and God knows all of this. He's setting, Holy Spirit's doing all of that, okay? So who would we have that we could kind of get things going on in uh, Salamis that Sergius Paulus would ask, hey, 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 there's somebody talking about the word of the Lord over there in Salamis. Have them come over here to Paphos. Who would be better then? Barnabas and Saul. And Barnabas, he's walking in. The, hey, guys, how are you? You remember me? I'm, I'm Barnabas, right? I tell you what, though, I've got Saul with me, and he's going to tell you some stuff. I'll tell you what. The Jews have come. The Jesus has come for the Jews. Go ahead, Saul. Bring it on. I'm sure it's just how it was. And they just lay this program out. People get saved. That's how I think it happened. Sounded pretty good, didn't it? <laughs> but we know this. I mean, in all truth, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, this is where Barnabas grew up was in Cyprus. He was a Jew. He would have attended those synagogues. He would have been very open to being there. 
Now, there have been resistance, no question. There's always resistance, right? That opposition, we have opposition that comes to Ruby Valley Bible Church. There's any church that's doing work for, for Jesus Christ will have opposition. And we should be, at, this is crazy because I'm not really thankful for satanic oppression, but it tells us that we're on the right track. If it's easy schmeasy, that bothers me. Now, there's not a lot of easy peasy, so don't, right? It's just a tough. Thank you for all of you that pray for me. That's what gets me through the week. It's what keeps me going. I don't know if you knew this or not, but we, we have used uh, different instances from C.H. Uh, Spurgeon. Um, and it just, just thrills my heart. You know, the key to his, to, I'm saying not his church, but the church in which he was leading. He was a young man when he was preaching there in England, right? Large, large congregation. In fact, you, if you went, you probably couldn't even get in. It was that kind of a place. Charles Spurgeon was the pastor of that. And for him to lead those five men, I've told you before, but it, I, I love to rehearse it. They came early to get a seat, and he said, do you want to see the heating apparatus of the church? Well, they didn't really come look at the furnace, right? I mean, come on. But he leads them down. And you know the story. I've told you before. And inside this room were 700 praying people. He says, that's what makes this work. Praying people make the church work. Thank you for those prayers. But you know, C.H. Spurgeon was given over to deep, deep bouts of depression. I'll tell you why. Because Satan hated him. If he could take him out of the picture, Satan would call it a huge victory. He wants to take people out that are on fire for Jesus Christ. You want to read, oh, I don't know, it's in 2 Corinthians somewhere, but Paul just gives a log of all of the struggles and all of the cruelties, all of the imprisonments and the shipwrecks, and that get bit by poisonous snakes. I could, you know, you read it. That opposition came because he, Satan, wanted to silence God's messenger. I'm just looking at Cyprus and I'm saying, praise God, you got the governor saved. The governor saved from Rome. Can you imagine him going back? And he, another one, which is off the, off the, I just thought of it now, but Paul being chained in Rome, he's got Caesar's household, they call him, that got saved. <laughs> they think he's in prison. You get, you get tied on, you get chained to Paul, you're the prisoner. Can you imagine that? Well, it's good to see. What's your name? I'm going to talk about Jesus. No, you're not. Yes, you are, because you're chained to me, right? It's kind of like an, air, like an airplane. You got the outside seat. They're kind of trapped, aren't they? I'm not saying I'm maliciously or any over the top, but the point of the matter is when the Holy Spirit sets in motion someone that is seeking God, he will provide a message and a messenger to make it complete. Sergius Paulus was a prudent man. He was a man that was seeking after God, and he was doing it in different ways. You know, now, it's interesting. If you would have taken a, just had a, a shall we say, an assignment to study this man's life, and you did a, a work on Bar-Jesus, and this is the guy he's got around him, and you'd say, whoa, right? What's he doing? Is he, is he a, a worshiper of Satan? Is he a demon? Wor Did you see that? He was seeking, and it worked out perfectly. He said, oh, those guys are over there in, in Salamis. They're talking about the Word of God. Let's get those guys in here. See, don't, don't make assessments or assumptions. There are some that you would see from the, from the, from the exterior that these guys hate God. Not necessarily. They're looking, they're seeking. And there's so many ways that, that Satan is able to falsify. You get on the internet and you just start just dialing in at, at spiritual stuff. There is so much stuff off the wall, it will scare you. Stay with the truth. 
You want to prepare your hearts? You want to be a spiritual leader? Prepare your hearts. You have good intentions? Prepare your hearts. New believers. This is the ones that I really, these are the ones we really need to lift up in prayer. Someone that's come to Christ, has come to Christ, get ready. Get them in Ephesians chapter 6. They have, they, have, they have defense weapons they never knew they had. They have the Holy Spirit living within them. Satan is going to come like gangbusters. He's going to do everything he possibly can. But the really cool part is he cannot steal salvation. Because the Holy Spirit has taken residence and he is the seal unto the day of redemption. He's not going anywhere. That's good news. That's good news. Just like Bar Jesus, if he would have trusted Christ... There would have been a change in his operator room. There would have been a change in the heart. He's no doubt demon-possessed. When that, that's, that's why it's so difficult for a demon-possessed person to accept Christ. Because that possession of that demon is trying to, to cover, to blunt, to beguile, to fog over any of the real message. You, you know, the gospel message can be so incredibly clear and they can't get it. It's got to be the Holy Spirit working through that. But think of, think of what takes place in, in someone that's demon-possessed. And this happened. Jesus Christ had demon-possessed people that he cast the demon out of to be, in, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Today. That's, that, that's mind-boggling. But it's true. Are you preparing yourself? Are you on board? With yielding to the Spirit. I told you we were going to go to, I just remembered it now, second, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And, and you see if, um, if this kind of fits where we're at today. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, especially when we're in times like this, it takes more than good intentions. It takes more than, you know, I think of, um, I'm thinking of, how, maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I will. Um, some folks that, and I, I, by the way, I was this way for a while. Um, we were kind of in between churches. Um, we were going to, to another place, and it was a long ways away. And it was just like it wasn't home, right? And so we would kind of try some different things. And then we, we were having church at home. Lisa and I, we had church at home with our kids, right? And it just wasn't right. And I'm not here to say what it was right for anyone else, but for me, it just didn't feel right, okay? So how do you get started? And you know what? The longer you're away from church, the harder it is to go back, okay? I'm, I know that. I'm, I'm here because I know that. And so when you're prepared... I mean, when you have intentions to go back, I'm thinking of a family right now. I'd like you to pray for them. This is a family that's been away from church for a long period of time. They know they need to be in church. And I'm, I can go to Hebrew. You write this down in your notes. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23, 24. It's no question that we need to be in church, okay? Because that's where we need to be. That's what the Bible says. But the point is, is for months now, they've said we need to get back in church. But you know what Satan does on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night? I'll tell you what he does. He will give you 19 reasons not to be there. He will figure out a way for it not to happen. And it's more than good intentions. You have to prepare your heart. You have to prepare your heart. That's the way it is. Now, that didn't, maybe that didn't come out right. But the point of the matter, no matter what you're doing for Jesus, no matter what you're doing for God, it takes more than good intentions and talk. You must prepare your heart. Just like Barnabas and Saul. If they hadn't been preparing themselves, I'll tell you how it would have went in Cyprus. <laughs> I will tell you how it would have went when they would have met up with Mr. Bar-Jesus. When it went well. Our goal should be to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, Phil, I used to, I did this differently, I, and, and I'm way different than I used to be. I remember, actually, maybe you guys were here long, we've been here 24 years, if you can imagine, that's a long time to put up with me. But I would have, and I, this isn't the glass, but we'll call it the glass, and I remember doing this, I put it on the piano, I said, you should be filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. Right? Does anybody remember me doing that? Yeah, you do. <laughs> I wish you hadn't, but it's okay. Okay. <laughs> Because, because I even want it more than that. The thing that sets me in motion for the Holy Spirit is a sailboat. The wind drives and controls the momentum of that sailboat. It's just, and you can't see it, but it drives that. It controls it. It controls it. That's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is. As we yield, and every moment is a yielding moment, isn't it? It's like, I, anyway. It's exciting stuff, though, really, isn't it? It's, it's so, it's, somebody says, oh, it's just old stuff. The Bible's just old. No, that is so amazing, the concurrent. It, it, it's right there. It's just like it is today. I could put Ruby Valley Bible Church in there. I could put any church that's on fire for Jesus Christ, and it could be right there. God wants you to use your gifts for him. Prepare your heart. Bring your game. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> first one. This know also that in the... This is written by Paul at the very end. This is the last letter he wrote. He's about to be killed. And then in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Let's think about that. Yep. Covetous. Yep. Boasters. Ooh, yeah. Proud. Ooh, yeah. Blasphemers. Absolutely. Disobedient to parents. Mm-hmm. Unthankful. Whoa. We don't even have a holiday we can call Thanksgiving anymore. It's Turkey Day, right? Unholy. True. Without natural affection. Absolutely. Truce breakers. You betcha. False accusers. Believe it. Incontinent. Fierce. Despisers of those that are good. Tree. You see it? It's, it's launched on every single one of those. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but dying the power thereof. From such turn away. Of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers lost, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is so amazingly true. Now watch verse 8. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood, notice the withstood, Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. Who's Janus and Jambres? Now, they're not listed in Exodus chapter 7, but they would have been the two uh, sorcerers that Pharaoh would have had employed. And as Moses came and did his works... They were the two that started out, and you know, well, that's no big deal. I can throw a snake down there, but then Moses' snake ate their snake. Oh, that's a little bit of a catch, right? But do you see the word? Just like Elymas or Bar-Jesus withstood Saul, Janus and Jambres would have withstood or resisted Moses. Same word. Isn't that true? Resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. See how, and this is the last days, absolutely. Now, I want to leave you with one verse. I'm just going to check if i got a couple of these, because I, I usually have another one after the other one. Have you noticed that about me? Oh, there is one. We, we need to look at this one. This is the key. Um, no matter who you are, young, old, or in between, um, how much you allow Satan into your life. He can come in various ways. 
Um, you, have, you have a lot of ways he can come. Come through your ears, your mouth, your nose, your skin, uh, walking. You know, there's a lot of ways that he can address you. And he'll try them all. He'll try every single one. I like what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. This is so true. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. And it starts in verse 26. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Colon. So it's tied with the same thought. Neither give place to the devil. Do not give the devil a beachhead. And what I would say, sustained anger turns into a bitterness. And bitterness, literally, quite honestly, it's like telling Satan to come on. We got a beat. We got a little campfire for you here. We got a little tent. You can stay here. Don't don't come too far in. You're not invited in the house. But when you're a bitter, when you're a bitter person, that allows Satan to have a beachhead. It allows him. You think of Normandy Beach. Remember, they fought hard to get there. Once they were on that beach, it was like the victory was almost theirs. See, and Satan's the same. He's so sneaky. He's so wily. Don't give him any territory, none whatsoever. That's why in Ephesians chapter 6, 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, to resist the wiles of the devil. Now, the one verse I want you to go home with, because there's a confrontation. If you have trusted Christ as Savior, you are in a war. There's no question about it. If you don't know you're in a war, (laughs) let me help you with this. You are in a war. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You are the temple of God. Satan will do anything possible to neutralize your testimony. He will do anything to neutralize the witness that you can have. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says this. 1 John 4, 4. This is your verse for the week. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. (laughs) That's an amen-er. That's that's what that is right there. That's a hallelujah. As hard and as much as you can be oppressed and opposed, withstood, if you will, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Keep praying. Keep reading the word. Prepare your lives. Prepare your hearts. Bring your gifts to God. Pray where God wants you to be. It's amazing, again, the Holy Spirit is who did all of the leading here. We want the Holy Spirit to lead us in our individual lives. We want the Holy Spirit to lead in the church life. We want the Holy Spirit to lead whatever we're doing. And the only way to do that is we yield to him. Questions or comments? It's quite a story, isn't it? Quite a story. Would, who would have thought that the first missionary journey, that God would have them go to an island? And the Roman governor, let's, let's say he just, just did a little survey. Okay, the church in Jerusalem is back. Oh, they're just going to go there? Good. We're going to be praying for you. We're going to be praying for you. We're going to be praying for you. 
How's it going to go? Who would be the first, who would be the li most likely candidate to be saved? It is not Sergius Paulus, because you just read a, a newspaper article on him, and he's got this bar Jesus, this sorcerer, this, this demon freak around him, and that's who God saved. <laughs> God wins. God wins. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care and for watching over us. Father, there is oppression. It's all around us. Help us to be strong in Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit. Therein lies the real advantage. Thank you for being stronger than Satan. It's not a battle that literally, Father, that we don't know the end of. In the end, Satan is cast into the everlasting lake of fire. That's a fact stated in the Word of God. Satan knows that, he's a, that he has lost, but he's, a, he's an aggressor. He's vengeful. He's a hater of all that is in life and all that is God. Father, we want to put on the whole armor of God. Protect us, Father, when we do that. Each one here today, Father, I ask that you would be with them in their lives. Their needs, you know them before they do. There's probably someone here today, Father, that has... A need that's too delicate, too overwhelming, that it's not something to even be stated. And yet, it's causing them a great deal of discomfort. It's challenging them at the depths of their very being. Father, right now in your love, put your arms of love around that person. Whisper in their ear that you are the source of joy and peace of Jesus through Jesus Christ. Lift them up. Hold them close to yourself. And Father, for all of those that are in Jesus Christ, may these coming days be ones of which we stand firm in preparing by taking in the truth and joining in prayer with you. Father, there's many things we don't know about the future, but we know that you hold it. We know that you are the victor. There's no one or anything that can thwart your final ending of the game. It's finalized. It's done. It's over. I can't wait, Father, to be in heaven with you. To put my arms around my Savior, the one that paid for my sin. The one who is going to be nailing the, wearing the nail prints for eternity for what my sin did. And yet, willingly, gladly, for the joy set before him, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12. That same Jesus is the one that took my sin. And he died. He said, It's finished. He was buried. Father, you rose him from the dead to prove that it was enough. Oh, how can we thank you enough? All praise, all honor to you forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.